0: Welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today. This is John Murphy. It's my pleasure to welcome to this podcast Dr. Catherine Whitehead. Dr. Whitehead is with the Carnegie Mellon University Department of Chemical Engineering, and her interest are in a variety of areas that probably fall under the broad area of targeted and effective drug delivery. Dr. Whitehead, welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today.
1: Hi, John. Thanks for having me.
0: So perhaps you could be a little more specific in terms of your interest and in your research focus compared to my very abbreviated introduction.
1: Sure. So my group is interested in making what we call drug delivery nanoparticles, So we are interested in trying to deliver drugs and other medicines inside of the body, and this is often a very difficult challenge because part of our body's job is to keep medicine out of the body. It's considered to be a foreign entity, and so the body doesn't really want it to get access to the diseased organs and cells within the body. And so what we try to do as drug delivery scientists is to develop delivery vehicles Those are particular types of chemicals and materials in which we can load our therapeutic drugs. And then when we either inject these nanoparticles inside of the body or you can imagine taking them orally or applying them to the skin, there are a number of different ways that we can try to introduce these particles into the body. But the goal is that once they're inside, that they'll be able to take these nanoparticles to the diseased tissue and cells and to deliver the medicine effectively without causing any kind of toxicity or harm to the patient.
0: So I know there's others who have interest in this field, and some people seem to be focused on targeted delivery. Other people seem to be focused on controlled release. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where does your research fall?
1: I would say that we would probably be more on the side of targeted delivery, when it comes to controlled release, often these are done in systems where they're interested in delivering a drug for sustained periods of time. Some of the medicines that I attempt to deliver, particularly I'm interested in some nucleic acid-type drugs, it's a challenge to deliver these materials at all currently, and so we kind of have to first consider getting these drugs to the right targets before we can consider more of these like long-term Applications and so controlled release might come after we achieve the efficacy that we need in the particular tissues that we're trying to target.
0: So, in terms of getting the drug to where it needs to be, the delivery pathway is the bloodstream?
1: The delivery pathway is often the bloodstream. Again, it depends on the particular type of application that we're interested in. So, some of our interests lie in the area of cancer, and specifically, we look at the treatment of a number of blood cancers. And so in this case, we definitely need to use the bloodstream. It's the most efficacious route, the most efficient route to taking our nanoparticles to the site of disease. In other cases, I have some projects in my lab are focused on diseases of the gastrointestinal tract, so inflammatory bowel disease, things like this. In that case an oral route of administration makes more sense as opposed to the bloodstream just because that's the site of the disease and it's certainly easier to take medication orally instead of by injection.
0: So we've all heard a lot about nanoparticles. Why are nanoparticles so interesting in terms of what you're trying to accomplish?
1: They're interesting because they have many different types of functionality. So one of the most important parameters, as the name nanoparticle implies, is that they're quite small. And so they are able to enter portions of the body. And not only are they able to enter cells, but then they're able to navigate particular pathways inside of the cells to do what they need to do. So we do need something that's really very small in order to deliver the drugs that we're interested in to the right kinds of cells. But then the other interesting thing about nanoparticles And one thing that we get really excited about in my lab is the chemistry that's being used to actually make the nanoparticle. So there are many different types of chemistry that you can conceive of. So certain people work with polymer-type materials, basically plastics, things like this, to make nanoparticles. Other people might work with silica, which is basically sand particles. my lab, we focus on using materials that are called liposomes, So those are made up of lipids, the kind of lipids that we find in our own body. And so we can make nanoparticles with very specific, defined chemical structures. And it's often these very intricate structures that are giving the nanoparticles our transport properties, which is what we're ultimately interested in as drug delivery engineers, is trying to figure out how the chemistry of our particle can help our delivery vehicle make it across these different barriers that are present within the body. So the size is important, the chemistry of the nanoparticle is important, and then the other thing that's exciting is, is to consider all the different types of drugs that you can potentially put inside of your delivery vehicle. And so my lab is mostly interested in nucleic acid, therapeutics, things like DNA and RNA, but you can also envision putting molecule-type drugs like chemotherapeutics, inside of these particles, which we've done before, as well as protein-type therapeutics, which are a bit larger, but we're still able to get those inside of our vehicles. So these are the kind of elements of the nanoparticle that we consider in our own work, and you can tune these depending on what disease you're trying to treat.
0: So is the drug of interest encapsulated inside the nanoparticle, or is it part of the nanoparticle or is it on the surface?
1: So it's typically an hour we're going to be inside of the nanoparticle. It's the most protected that way in this case and it also has to do with some of the chemistry of the nanoparticle itself. So most of our drugs are hydrophilic molecules. They like water the center of our nanoparticle is typically going to be a water-rich environment, and so a lot of the drugs are just going to naturally prefer to be in the center because they like to hang out in water.
0: So is the porosity of the nanoparticle then important in terms of delivery to the targeted tissue?
1: Not in our case. Our nanoparticles don't have the pores the way you sometimes see in nanoparticles. Our nanoparticles are completely surrounded by a lipid bilayer, and so what happens is that these nanoparticles get taken up inside of the cells, and the chemistry of that lipid bilayer mediates basically some intracellular events that allow the drug to be released inside of the cell.
0: So one of the issues that I hear other colleagues talk about relative to delivery of drugs is Tracing and determining where they go and and if they stay there or not. Mm-hmm. How do you do that with nanoparticles?
1: One of the easiest ways to do that is to use fluorescently labeled tags, as we call them. So basically, these are small chemical molecules that you can attach to your drug of interest that will give off light at a certain wavelength. and so, with the right type of microscope we're able to track that particle as it moves either through an animal or through a cell. So that's one technique. Another technique is to use metal nanoparticles, something like iron oxide or gold, that are also able to be picked up by different types of microscopes. So using either of those, we can track things pretty well within the cell and within the animal. Within people, it becomes sometimes a little bit more difficult just because people have much thicker dimensions, I guess you could say, compared to some animals, and so it's sometimes harder to see through all of the tissue.
0: So, Dr. Whitehead, how do you determine the particular materials that are optimal for this? Do you have a particular hypothesis about a given material that you assess, or how do you proceed?
1: This is an interesting Question, and it's one that we've thought about a lot. So, there are a number of researchers, there are many researchers really in this area, and there are many people trying to discover potent drug delivery materials and the right kind of chemistries to accomplish a lot of these transport processes within the body. And it's a difficult problem. The most common approach that I would say people take is that they use an approach of rational design. So they start with a base delivery material, and then they put it inside of the cells and they observe what it does, and then they attempt to chemically modify the initial starting structure to try to, say, make it more likely to overcome cell entry barriers or to make it more likely to accomplish something known as endosomal escapes, overcoming a different part of the delivery process. And so they'll tweak it in these small ways to make these different advances. But I think part of the challenge with this approach is that you have to understand what specific drug delivery barriers you're trying to overcome in order to smartly or intelligently make those changes to your chemical structure. And the interesting thing about the body and about the delivery process in general is that the body, in some regards, is like a black box, and we don't entirely understand many elements of the delivery process. We don't really understand how cells, you know, are uptaking some of these particles, how they're allowing the transport inside of them. When we initially inject some of these materials, we don't understand how the immune system may or may not recognize and clear these particles. So there are just so many elements that we don't understand. So one thing that we wanted to do was to just take a step back and kind of acknowledge our lack of understanding of the biology in this case. And so one approach that we took was to look literally at thousands of different delivery materials. We used a relatively straightforward chemistry that was easy to conduct very rapidly. And I would say over the course of my career now, I've looked at maybe 5,000 different nanoparticle chemistry formulations in an attempt to try to really zero in on the things that work the best. And fortunately, that's been a relatively fruitful approach. We've looked at thousands of materials, and most of them don't work, as you may expect. You know, you can't just make things and expect them to work. But by looking at so many, we have been able to identify extremely potent delivery materials. And what's cool about that is that then once you have something that works well, then you can start asking, well, why does it work? And you can start looking at some of these detailed, you know, chemical and molecular interactions, both on the tissue level and then inside of the diseased cells. When we understand why something is working better, it helps us make the materials even better. It helps us understand some of these disease processes better, and we can move forward from there.
0: So speaking of disease processes, and you mentioned at the outset of our discussion a couple of areas you're interested in but where are the expected first applications of this?
1: So we're hoping to make an impact in the area of cancer. Part of the issue is that, you know, we're working in preclinical models. We work in animal models, and so there is a fair amount of work that needs to be done before you move into some kind of human clinical trial. So it certainly is years away before we would see some of these technologies move forward. But we are hoping to have an impact in a particular type of blood cancer called mantle cell lymphoma. It is a type of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is, I believe, the sixth most prevalent cancer in the United States. And of all of the different types of non-Hodgkin lymphomas, and there are many, this particular type called mantle cell lymphoma is by far the most deadly. And so it is most in need of new types of therapies to be added to the traditional therapies. So currently people are treated mostly with chemotherapy and with radiation, and there are some antibody-type drugs that are used for these patients. But the problem is that inevitably the cancer relapses, after an initial round of treatment and so these patients need extra help and so what we're trying to do is we're trying to go in and basically turn off the production of some of the proteins that these cancer cells make that help them proliferate so rapidly so we want to go in there and just try to prevent them from proliferating and growing the last thing you want to happen is metastasis and things like this so we're hoping we can make some positive effects there.
0: So you made a point a moment ago I just want to reinforce for our audience, and that is that this is a basic research study that shows lots of promise. There's a number of steps down the path that need to be accomplished before this can be a clinical reality.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes it's hard to kind of wrap your head around the time scales, but the fact of the matter is that most research done at this level It does not work out as far as moving into the patient just because we are limited in what we can do in the laboratory and and we can try our best to make really efficient delivery materials. We put them into animals. We need to see all sorts of good results in the animal. But as you can imagine, John, a mouse is extremely different from a human. And so a lot of times along the way people consider putting these materials in a monkey or some kind of a non-human primate before moving into clinical trials. And so at every step along the way, this delivery material has to hold up to scrutiny. It needs to continue to work in these different types of animal models, but really the main problem that arises is typically with toxicity and causing either acute toxicity, some kind of an immune response, some kind of inflammation. You know, all of these are clinically unacceptable when it comes to developing new therapies, and so There are definitely a lot of hurdles to overcome after the initial conception of ideas, which is what we're trying to do.
0: So, Dr. Whitehead, I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing with us your pioneering studies in a very important area. I'd like to also extend my congratulations to you. I note that you're a recent recipient of the MIT Technology Review Award for Under-35 Investigators, so I think this is a good indication of the pioneering work that you're doing. We will put on the podcast website a link to Dr. Whitehead's website if you're interested in more details. I remind our listeners that we welcome suggestions. You can reach us at mail at com. And I'd like to thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine that sponsors this podcast series. And until we meet again, best wishes to our audience and to you, also Dr. Whitehead.